Hello and welcome to another episode of My Favorite Trees. My name is Thomas and I love trees. We are now pulling into the final stop along this journey, exploring some more incredible fruit trees. Our final topic of discussion today is the peach tree. Peach fruits and other parts of the peach tree hold a great deal of cultural significance in areas across East Asia, which I find rather interesting because I doubt very many of you would look at a peach and think, ah yes, Asian food. I, as well as yourself, may be more inclined to associate peaches with the American South, what with its inclusion in things like peach cobbler or peach iced tea, or with the fact that the state of Georgia is widely known as the peach state. Peaches in this day and age have become an incredibly normal and rather mundane part of our lives, as many globally traded fruits are. But there is so much foreign identity behind these sweet, juicy treats hidden away behind thousands of miles and thousands of years of history. Let us once more take a closer look at the natural and geographical origins of this otherwise commonplace produce and learn about how it has shaped legends, colors, and health treatments of the past, as well as how it continues to shape digital culture in the modern day. Around the world, peaches are an incredibly popular fruit, and the tree they come from belongs to an incredibly popular group of plants. Peach trees are found in the plant genus known as Prunus, but this is not considered to just be the peach genus. Prunus is also part of the scientific name for the plants where we get almonds, apricots, cherries, and plums, the last of which is where we actually get that Latin name. These are collectively known as the stone fruit plants, meaning the physical structure of all these fruits is defined by their seed being encased in a stone hard pit, which is then surrounded by a juicy, fleshy exterior, you know, the part you eat. Except for the almond, in which case you're eating the seed. Moving beyond this group a bit, the Prunus genus belongs to the tribe Amygdaloideae, which also includes popular fruits like apples and pears. And zooming out even more, all these plants collectively belong to the massive and economically important rose family. I don't know what it is about this branch of plant taxonomy, but boy is it just overflowing with organisms that we love to look at and smell and eat. The peach tree itself is not very big. In good conditions, it might reach a height of around 25 feet or 7 meters tall. In orchards or plantation settings, they're even shorter only around 10 feet or 3 meters tall. And that's super normal. Plants grown in agricultural settings aren't often allowed to reach their full-size potential because either you need to harvest them before they do, or you just don't want them so big that what you're harvesting from them is more difficult to collect. What's less normal is the fact that peach trees do not live very long at all, only 8 to 15 years on average, maybe a little bit longer when they're on their own in the wild. This is a very short lifespan for a tree, organisms that we consider to be bigger than us and outlast us, or at the very least match us in longevity. Not peaches, they shoot out of the ground and go, here's some fruit, bye! As for the other parts of the tree, peach flowers are often considered a close second behind the fruit in regards to favorites. 
When winter transitions into spring, these flowers are the first to pop up on branches ahead of the leaves. And while they vary in color from white to red, they are quite often a showy and vibrant shade of pink. If you think of the lovely pink sakura blossoms on Japanese cherry trees, you wouldn't be too far off in appearance, save for the peaches flowers presenting a different shade of pink, usually a bit deeper in hue. Speaking of, the pink shades of these flowers have found significance in Japanese culture, not necessarily in symbolism or anything, but in what words they use to describe colors. In the modern day, it's not uncommon for Japanese people to refer to pink as simply pinku. But historically, pink as a color was named after the cherry and peach blossoms, using the words sakura-iro and momo-iro. For one thing, I love that the Japanese word for peach is momo, but for another, I think it's interesting how one of the words you can use to describe the color pink translates to peach-colored. I find this uniquely fascinating because over here in Western culture, peach-colored refers to a shade inspired by the skin of the peach's fruit, usually a blend of pink and orange and yellow. So depending where in the world you are, peach-colored means different colors entirely because of those botanical distinctions. Despite the western peach color referencing the exterior of the peach fruit, these fruits actually come in a variety of appearances. They do often present in that unique shade that we typically equate with the skin color of your average Caucasian person, but they can also be various shades of yellow, orange, red, and even purple, almost like a plum. It's kind of like they're related or something. Most often, I see a swirl or random blend of all those colors together on the same fruit. Regardless of color, peach skin is also identified by a sort of fuzzy texture. In my opinion, fruit being hairy is certainly strange, and you should definitely remember to remove the fuzzy skin before baking with peaches. Quick kitchen tip, the easiest way to peel peaches is to boil them for like three minutes, then immediately submerge them in ice water. The skin peels right off without messing with the fruit. But this hairiness is a defense mechanism for the plant. The texture protects the flesh of the fruit from insects by acting as an irritant, and it wicks away moisture, thus preventing the fruit from rotting faster. All this to ensure that animals will be more likely to consume the fruit and then disperse the seed for successful reproduction. But now it's time to take our brains out and throw them back to high school biology when we learned about Punnett squares, alleles, and dominant and recessive traits. We always used human hair color as an example for this stuff in school, like how brown hair is a dominant trait while blonde hair is a recessive trait. Having two dominant alleles, or one dominant and one recessive, will both result in brown hair. People with blonde hair must have both hair color alleles be recessive in order for this trait to present itself. Likewise, in peaches, having fuzzy skin is a dominant trait, while having smooth skin is a recessive trait. A peach with smooth skin is what we call a nectarine. They're the exact same species, simply genetic variants of each other. The plants themselves are otherwise completely indistinguishable. These smooth nectarines have been cultivated almost as long as fuzzy peaches have because as soon as they were discovered, people were like, hey look, it's the same fruit, except it's not weird and hairy. And I get that, I don't need my fruit to also be a mammal. 
I need to go ahead and talk about something else, because I've been talking about skin for way too long. I know, I'll talk about the fruit's flesh instead. We just have such appetizing ways of describing our food. Peach flesh, like the skin, also varies greatly in color. I believe I most often think of it as a vibrant shade of yellow, but many varieties of peach have a more white flesh to them. And these differences in color actually do indicate a difference in flavor. Yellow peaches tend to be sweeter and more acidic, while white peaches tend to have a milder, more floral flavor. Finally, at the core of the peach, you'll find the pit, that thing Andy Dwyer fell into in Parks and Rec. Botanically, this is a hard woody shell that encases the peach seed. At first, you may wonder how the seed would get out of the pit naturally so as to grow into a new peach plant. But in reality, a germinated seed can sprout through the pit, kind of in a similar way to how baby chickens can hatch from eggs. These pits have their own fascinating traits to them. Every part of the peach is honestly really cool for completely different reasons. The peach pit seed structure is incredibly similar to that of its close relative, the almond. For one thing, they, as well as the other seeds from plants in the amygdaloidae tribe, contain a compound known as amygdalin, which can transform into cyanide when ingested. Alongside that, they kind of taste the same. If you've heard of marzipan, this is a confection that is made from sugar, honey, and ground-up almond. But if, for whatever reason, you can't get a hold of almonds, and instead have a bunch of detoxified peach pits lying around, you can still grind these up and make a sort of copycat marzipan that tastes close enough. We call this poor man's candy persipan, which is in reference to the peach's scientific name. In Latin, the plant these fruits come from is known as Prunus persica. Prunus, as I mentioned, comes from the closely related plum's Latin name, while persica is in reference to Persia, which is where Europeans originally got their peaches from. But this is not where peaches came from originally. These fuzzy, fleshy fruits had to travel thousands of miles west from its homeland of China, where it was enjoyed more exclusively for thousands of years before outside cultures got their first taste. say that peaches are from China and were just eaten there for thousands of years, that's me telling a little fib. In truth, peaches have been eaten in China for millions of years. In the last decade, archaeological digs in southwestern China have unearthed fossilized peach pits in layers of rock that date back to the Pliocene epoch, which ended over two and a half million years ago. Most remarkable about these fossils is that they indicate the peaches that were growing here millions of years ago were, on average, around the size of smaller, modern peaches and were structurally similar to modern peaches. This is significant because typically, domestication of a crop by humans dramatically alters the size and structure of that crop in order for us to produce the most desirable food source. This research suggests that this process was already underway long before humans existed. 
the likeliest explanation for this ideal manifestation of natural selection is that primates which predated the human species were enjoying these peaches and selected fruits that more modern humans would find desirable, ultimately leading to a wonderful tree-based food source already growing when modern humans began civilizing China. Thus, it is understood that peaches were a part of human life since the earliest humans inhabited the region of modern China. But there is still the question of when the peach tree was first heavily cultivated, and this is an important question considering how we view the transition to agriculture as a major turning point in early human communities. I believe this question has multiple answers. Looking into the past through a lens made of rock doesn't always give us the clearest view of history. The earliest archaeological evidence we have of peaches alongside human civilization were found in the Kuahuqiao site in eastern China near the modern city of Hangzhou. This site, as well as the peach pits discovered there, date back to around 8,000 years ago. So it could be said that humans have been cultivating peaches for at least that long. But while I did mention earlier that peach pits dating back to over 2 million years ago were not significantly different from modern peaches, there are other pits that were excavated from the Liangzhou cultural site that are more closely comparable to what is sold in supermarkets today. This cultural site dates back to around 4 or 5,000 years ago, and up until the last few decades, it was primarily thought that this was the biggest indicator of the earliest cultivation of modern peaches. 4,000 or 8,000 years ago, there is some argument to be made for either claim, I believe. And quite frankly, there is more to be added to this discussion that I will get into in a few minutes, but I've spent enough time saying a bunch of numbers at you when I would rather be telling stories. We know that food plays a huge role in human culture. Anything that we consider important is given a significant place in our belief systems, and what's more important than tasty food. After some thousands of years of human civilization developing alongside the peach, the primary symbolism that has been attached to the fruit is that of longevity. Anytime peaches appear in Chinese mythology, it is to represent growth and long life. The Chinese god of longevity, Shu Xing, is often depicted holding a peach. There is also a fabled garden in the Kunlun Mountains where the Queen Mother of the West grows peaches of immortality. These peaches only ripen once every thousand years, and anyone who eats of this rare fruit is granted immortality, as the name suggests. This legend has even persisted into the modern day and often finds a special place in Chinese birthday celebrations. When someone in China celebrates their birthday, and I'm not sure how widespread this is because China is big, they do so with a special dessert called a longevity peach. It's not an actual peach, it's just a steamed bun that is shaped like a peach and dyed to be the same orange-pinkish color, kind of more like a birthday cake. It's a symbolic way of wishing someone many more years of their life to come. And I find this all deeply ironic. Last episode, I talked about how the pear tree in Chinese culture held symbolism related to longevity, just like the peach. But the pear earned this symbolism because those trees can live for hundreds of years. Meanwhile, most peach trees don't live past the age of 20. So how did these two fruit trees end up with the same symbolism? When it comes to the peach, 
its association with longevity is not about how long the tree lives, but how long the tree will help you live. Peaches have long been regarded by humans as a very healthy food. Fruits in general, being chock full of various important vitamins, are seen as a significant contributor to a healthy, balanced diet in the modern day, and peaches are no exception. Their vitamin C content helps support immune health. Their vitamin A content helps support eyesight. Some research on peach extract even supports the idea that it can help lower cholesterol and high blood pressure. And it's got lots of good fiber and potassium and other things that your body likes. You could just as easily say that a peach a day is what keeps the doctor away. But humans in China thousands of years ago didn't exactly have that kind of grasp on how our bodies function. For a long time, they thought that bad health was caused by demons, and the peach protected you from those demons. And this protection extended beyond just eating the fruit. It was historically common to wear a necklace of peach pits as a charm to ward off evil spirits. It was also customary to hang branches of the peach tree on your door to keep those same spirits out of your home. To this day, peach blossoms are a significant symbol of the Chinese or Lunar New Year as a means of warding off demons and protecting the year to come. One thing I always wonder is when exactly these traditions began. And I'm sure there's no easy answer for this. It's entirely possible that any single symbol and culture developed gradually over time or in multiple places. These things are understandably unclear. But one thing that remains confusingly unclear is when the peach was brought from China to Japan. We at least know that's the direction these fruits went in. On one hand, that same archaeological study from 2014 that dated peach pits found in various Stone Age Chinese cultural sites also references peach pits found in Japanese sites on the island of Kyushu that date back over 6,000 years ago. Taking this into account, it gives a little more clarity into how early peaches were actively cultivated in China if they were already being taken to Japan that early. But just about every other source I find, including articles written more recently than 2014, point to an archaeological site in the Nara prefecture known as Makimuku as the oldest site where peach pits have been excavated. This site is dated to be less than 2,000 years old. I'm not an archaeologist, but it still shouldn't be this hard to figure out the validity of which ancient site containing peach pits indicates when these fruits made it to this island nation. If you are an archaeologist, or you otherwise have some insight on the matter, my email is treeguythomas at gmail.com. Please contact me and explain whether or not peaches were taken to Japan two or 6,000 years ago, because this is driving me crazy. Now, in regards to the cultural impact of the peach in Japan, it mostly reflects what is believed of it in China in regards to growth and longevity by protecting one's health. You know, against demons. But the legends in which this demon protection manifests in Japan are wholly unique and revolve around a folk hero known as Momotaro, which translates to Son of the Peach, or just Peach Boy. And this isn't just some obscure cultural story in Japanese mythos. As I understand it, this is a pretty common fairy tale told to children today. Literally yesterday, I was watching an anime where a character was telling a rendition of this exact story to a group of young kids in a library. 
so it appears to be as present an aspect of their culture as, say, Johnny Appleseed is over here in the United States. Except Johnny Appleseed was a real person. Anyway, once upon a time, there was a poor and elderly married couple who worked hard to just barely make ends meet. But rather than pray for wealth and comfort every night, they instead prayed for a child, which was now unlikely for them to have at this age. One day, the old woman was walking by the river when she spotted the biggest peach she had ever seen. The exact size of the peach she sees varies depending on the version. Sometimes it's just a really big peach, and others it's like as big as she is. Anyway, she hoists this peach out of the river and brings it home to surprise her husband that evening when he returns dog-tired from hard work. She pulls out this peach, which is now somehow bigger than when she first found it earlier that day, and goes, Check out what I found! We're eating good tonight! The husband goes to cut into the peach, but before he can, the peach just splits itself in half and out jumps a child, who immediately starts talking. He says, Don't do that! I'm your son, sent from heaven because you nice people prayed so hard for a child. Well, here I am. The child was named Momotaro, the peach boy, and he grew up to be taller and stronger than all the other boys his age. By 15, he was basically already a grown man, so he left home early and went on adventures where he gathered a small army of animals, sailed to the Island of Devils, and killed them all, except for the Demon King, who he took prisoner and brought home to show off to his dear old mother and father. And I just cannot get enough of how seriously Japan upped their game from how China presented them with this fruit that protects them from demons. They heard, wearing peach pits on a necklace prevents ghosts from giving you a cold, and turned that into the fruit-spawning children that go on and literally fight devils. I love it. The idea of representing health and longevity proceeded to follow the peach wherever it went. Sometime after its introduction in Japan, it was taken to Korea. But centuries prior to the preach spreading completely throughout the Far East, the transcontinental trading routes known as the Silk Road were established, and the peach was traded west, making it to the Indian subcontinent. Its movement in that direction introduced Buddhism with the idea of the three fruits of plenty, this idea of holiness associated with the citron, the pomegranate, and the peach. The citron represents good luck, actually because of a Chinese pun. The pomegranate represents the gift of many suns, because those fruits have so many seeds in them. And the peach, of course, represents good health and longevity. On multiple occasions now, I've introduced trees that are native to the Indian subcontinent that make it into Far East culture because Buddhists took it there on their travels. So I'm just tickled to see the opposite, where a tree from the Far East goes west and proceeds to influence Buddhist culture. The peach continued its journey west along the Silk Road to Persia, where modern-day Iran is. And this is where we get the Latin name for the plant, Prunus persica, because it was from Persia that Europeans were introduced to the fruit. And Europeans always get the final say on what things are named. Again, we're not quite sure how and when the peach was first brought to Europe. Many fingers point to Alexander the Great on his travels in 4th century BCE, like with the mango, but that's just kind of the cop-out answer of how anything got from Asia to Europe. He may have been the first to tell Europe about the fruit, but it's also possible that peaches made it there in mass by normal trade means around the same time. 
Peaches proceeded to spread across Europe with the expansion of the Roman Empire, not just the fruit, but production of it as well. Despite the fact that it was now grown there, Europeans would still consider it to be an exotic fruit, even in the millennium following its introduction. In fact, it was often considered to be a kind of exotic apple. So in many cases, peach symbolism mirrored apple symbolism in early Western cultures. This is where cultural significance with the peach finally diverged from its origins. While the Chinese had regarded it as a symbol of longevity and immortality, Europeans were more inclined to view it as a symbol of impermanence, perhaps because of how it is a beautiful fruit that still decays, or perhaps because of the short-lived nature of the tree itself, it came to represent the fleetingness of life. When the Spanish crossed the Atlantic Ocean and started a colony in Florida in the 1500s, the peach was taken with them. Much in the same way that Roman influence spread the peach around Europe, Spanish influence spread it around North America, and this was something that was greatly taken advantage of by various southern native tribes who started their own peach orchards. But the Euro-Americans that colonized the continent and birthed the new global power that is the United States did not take to the crop quite so readily. Peach trees, like many fruit trees, are not easily grown on a grand commercial scale in this part of the world. For one thing, the trees are incredibly short-lived, but are also prone to rot and disease caused by local insects and fungi. These trees were grown on a small, local scale because most southern farmers who wanted to make some real money opted instead to use their land for cotton production. But a desire to increase the production of fruit crops in the south and diversify the agricultural output beyond a single plant encouraged horticultural research that eventually developed new, hardier, mass-producible peaches in the mid-1800s. The heart of this new production surrounded a town called Fort Valley, smack dab in the middle of Georgia. The state of Georgia, and this part of it specifically, leaned hard into their new crop and went on to loudly celebrate the peach. In the 1920s, Fort Valley threw a series of annual peach blossom festivals and pageants to further exemplify and sell the peach to the rest of the state, country, and world. These events attracted tens of thousands of people, including silent film stars of the day, and once, even a camel. Amidst these festivals, the area around Fort Valley was designated as the newest county in the state of Georgia, now called Peach County. Peaches became associated with a pure state of goodness, and it was from this culture that we derived the phrase of something being just peachy or peachy keen, meaning everything is going great. But all this pomp and grandeur was really just marketing, and it was laid on as thick as it was because peach production in the South never really got easier. It was still a rather sensitive and short-lived crop, and because of the softness and fragility of peach fruits, the harvesting process has still never been mechanized, which means peach production still heavily relies on hand labor, and hand labor doesn't exactly have a bright history in the American South. But this marketing campaign really worked in regards to tying the peach to Georgia, which now calls itself the Peach State, despite the fact that peach production makes up less than 1% of the state's agricultural economy, and Georgia, as a state, produces less than 5% of the United States peaches. You should more likely be thanking California the next time you buy a peach. 
This is not the end of the peaches story, though, because I believe the cultural symbolism surrounding peaches is developing right before our very eyes with the peach emoji. Every young person knows what peach emojis represent when used in a text, and if you don't know, go find a young person to ask. And this may seem like a super silly topic compared to all the other ways I delve into cultural history, but think about it. The same way that we in the modern day recover cuneiform tablets to interpret what people in Mesopotamia were like, there may one day be historians that pore over digital archives to understand us and our culture. And you know what they're going to see? They're going to see how we utilize the symbol of a peach as a representation of sexuality and connect that to significance in our societies. It's all too easy to look at cultural development as something that has been carried to us by our ancestors, but take a step back and you will see how culture continues to develop in entirely new ways every single day. That isn't to say that we are replacing older culture with new trends and memes. The history we've built around the peach is still strong when we think about where the peach comes from, with Chinese Lunar New Year celebrations and birthday traditions and Japanese fairy tales. I'm willing to bet that there's at least one new thing you learned about the story of the peach today, something new to think about when you see these fruits in the grocery store or have a nice slice of peach cobbler. I really like the connection of the peach to longevity, because it manifests in so many different ways. On top of the stories I've already shared, there's also the story of the Peach Orchard Oath, where three ancient warriors took an oath under a peach tree to always come to each other's aid. And the location is significant because it ensures that their oaths and their friendship would last forever. And then there's the story of the Peach Blossom Spring, where a fisherman follows a stream lined with flowering peach trees and comes upon a simple and prosperous town shut away from the rest of the world. The story suggests that with how much darkness and hurt that grows in the world, pockets of peace, happiness, and hope will persist. The Europeans were right. Peaches are beautiful but fragile, and human life is much the same. But while we, and the peaches, are certain to disappear, our stories will persist and survive for millennia to come. And with that thought, I conclude this second fruit tree miniseries. More often than not, I talk about trees that you may see on the roadside, or in parks, or even forests, and reveal the unexpected human side of these natural wonders. But we do not often see the trees behind the fruits that decorate our plates. Perhaps your next snack break can do more than just sate your hunger, but also your appetite for travel, learning, and human experience. I'd like to take a moment to thank my Patreon patrons who support this show. Not only are they supporting me, but a portion of their contributions are also donated to a sustainable nonprofit that is chosen by them on a quarterly basis. In return, they have access to my bonus Tree Walks with Thomas video series, full unedited versions of my interview episodes, behind-the-scenes info and production updates, and more. If these perks interest you, consider heading over to patreon.com slash myfavoritetrees and become a patron at any tier. My next topic, Tree has quite the history of adventure. On June 13th, I'll be talking about the balsa tree, whose wood is better known for model planes and the race cars built and piloted by the Little Rascals. But in two weeks, we'll learn about how this wood was also erroneously used to argue about the grand voyages made by the seafaring people who populated the Polynesian islands. 
I want to thank all of you for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed it, please consider leaving a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to help us grow. The music is by Academy Garden. You can find more of their awesome stuff at academygarden.bandcamp.com. My cover art is by at BoomerangBrit on Instagram. My script editor and social media manager is the wonderful Lori Hilburn. Find me on Twitter and Facebook at MyFavoriteTrees or on Instagram at TreePodcast. You can support me directly by joining my Patreon at patreon.com slash myfavoritetrees or donate directly to a sustainable organization like the ones found on my website, mftpodcast.com. Now, go find a tree that you love and give it a hug. <laughs>